Well, Happy New Year. I'm sure that most of us have some great New Year resolutions that you're ready to take on for 2017. Amen? But I must admit, I'm still not sure about mine. Because my wife still hasn't told me what my New Year's resolutions are yet. That's a joke. I'm glad you guys laughed. I was afraid it was going to really bomb. But here's some better New Year's resolutions. Number one, don't send a text to someone sitting in the same room as you. Number two, Try taking a selfie that looks like a picture of an actual person. Number three, don't let your dog be your vacuum. I know that from experience. Number four, don't check your Facebook likes every five minutes. At least give yourself ten minutes, right? Okay, those aren't really actual New Year's resolutions either, but I did find out what the top 10 resolutions are for 2017, and here's the list. I'm going to start at number 10. Spend more time with family. Number nine, fall in love. I didn't say all these were theologically correct, obviously. Number eight, help others fulfill their dreams. Number seven, quit smoking. Number six, learn something exciting. Number five, stay fit and healthy. Number four, enjoy life to the fullest. Number three, spend less, save more. Number two, get organized. And I must admit, I must be quite average because my resolution was rated number one. Lose weight and get healthy. Now it may not be obvious to all of you why losing weight and getting healthy is a priority for me. I don't know why some of you are smiling right now. I mean, I thought I looked somewhat healthy, but I found out my weight is the right, it's the correct, it's the healthy weight for someone who's over six foot tall. I don't know why you're laughing again. Am I that short? So I have some work to do. But as a Christian, we're called to not only value our physical health, but also we're called to value our spiritual health as well. 1 Timothy 4.8 says this, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Paul here says physical health is of some value, but really what matters, what really counts, is our spiritual health. But part of our spiritual health is connected to the body of Christ or the local church that we are a part of. So I ask you, how healthy is the local church how healthy is your local church? This idea of a healthy church might be a new concept for some of us. We might never have considered the health of our home church, whether we are a member of the family church or another church. I would ask you, what drew you to your church in the first place? 
Maybe it's the music. Maybe we love contemporary music. Or some of us are the exact opposite. We're about the hymns. Give me some traditional music, right? Bring back the songbooks. Others of us choose a church because of the sermons. We like messages that maybe are clear or interesting or have some practical application or have lots of theological teachings. Or maybe it's not so much about the sermons, but the pastor's personality. We like if the pastor is personable, if he's warm, or if they're easy to talk to. Or maybe what's important to us is that the church is friendly. People reached out and made us feel welcome when we started going to the church, and we instantly feel connected to the church that we're now a part of. Or maybe we're looking for a church that is alive, we want a church that is doing something, that's going somewhere, a church that is busy. So we want to just jump right in and get involved. Well, what I just described about the church is our preferences. These are areas that we like about the church. But I'm not really wanting to talk about what we like or what we want in a church. What I am talking about is what we need in the local church. What I'm asking is what constitutes a healthy church? Well, for the month of January, we'll be in a series called The Healthy Church, or Marks of a Healthy Church. Now, this series will be different than what we are used to here, because usually we take one book in the Bible, and we go verse by verse through it, right? And we call that expository preaching, which we believe wholeheartedly, and we believe that we need God's Word to guide us. You don't need to hear from my topical opinions every week, but we need to be led by God's Word, Amen. But these, for these next five weeks, we are going topical, just for these five weeks, to explore the importance of what it looks like to be a church that glorifies and honor Jesus Christ. So as we begin this morning, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We thank you for the local church. We thank you for all the churches that are walking in your word this morning, encouraging, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to, pe to teach your word boldly, to preach the truth of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you give us a vision of your local church, a vision that is from your word, in Christ's name, amen. Well, the first question that may come to mind is, how important really is the church? I mean, is the church really worth a five-part series? I mean, I hear people say all the time, I love Jesus, but I really don't care for the church. Or they say, I am a Christian, but I don't go to church. They act as if being a Christian is separate from being a part of the body of Christ. So let's think about this for a moment. I turn to Christ in repentance and faith. I commit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I submit my whole life to Christ. I tell Jesus I will do whatever he wants. I will give him my time, my talents, and my treasure. I will give my very life for Christ. And yet for many who say this, they aren't a part of the body of Christ. They don't end up in the local church. 
some of us may realize that's a problem. To say, I'm a Christian, but I don't care for the local church. I mean, we may realize that Christians are the church, and the church are the Christians. It's the old saying that says, you can't take the Christian out of the church, and you can't take the church out of the Christian either. Well, I'm not sure if that was an old saying, but it sounded good, right? But it shows that the Christian and the church are the same. But for others, there may be a real disconnect. There may be real misunderstandings. It may not be so clear to all of us. So it's important for us to understand just how important the church is to Christ. So let me ask, who did Christ die for? I think most of us would say the world, right? As John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? But who in the world did Christ actually die for? I would guess that many of us would say everyone. But Ephesians 5.25 tells us, it clearly tells us who Christ really died for. Listen to this, Ephesians 5.25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the church was such a priority to Christ that he gave his own life for her. This leads to point number one. Christ gave up everything for the local church. Christ gave up everything for the local church. I wonder if we realize that Christ died for the church. I mean, that has to come to a shock to some of us, especially if we don't think the church was that important in the first place. But if we go back a few verses in Ephesians 5, we learn why the church is so important. It says that Christ is the head of the church. And we are the bride of the church, of, of Christ. It's special. It's such a privilege to be the bride of Christ. I must say I'm so thankful to be part of the family church here on Marco Island, serving alongside all of you. God has placed us here strategically. He has placed us here uniquely. He has placed us here and equipped us with specific gifts and abilities to be the light, to be the salt of the earth, to call your county, to show love and grace of Jesus Christ to this area we live in. But let me say, it's not just us alone. It's every biblically-based church we should be aligned with. Amen? I wonder if we know how special it is to be a part of the family of God. If we see how privileged we are to be a part of what is known as the local church. You may be thinking, but the church, it has so many problems. It's so messed up. I mean, the church is filled with sinners and hypocrites. And I would say that's true. I know for the fact that the family church is made up of sinners because I know all our members. But more than that, but worse than that, I know myself. 
I can confidently tell you that I am a big sinner as well. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. She's sitting here in the front row. She can tell you often how selfish I can be, how stubborn I can be, how prideful I can become, how much of a whiner I get when I'm sick. But that really doesn't count because that's all men, amen? But the point is we aren't perfect yet we are still a work in progress christ is working on us christ is still changing us for his glory and i want to listen to that from ephesians 5 25 through 27 that's actually speaking about marriage but paul is actually as he's talking about marriage he's actually talking about christ and the local church listen to what he says here husbands Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, the church, that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her, the church, by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. We see here that Christ is the one who takes ownership of cleaning, of purifying, and making the local church radiant in splendor. Christ is transforming sinners into saints. He is cleaning us. He is growing us. He is changing us, church, from the inside out. But... We find out that Christ transforms us as we learn to live life with each other. As we spend time, as we grow in relationship with each other in the local church. Proverbs 21, 27, 17 says this, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. We actually are being refined by Christ as we learn to honor, as we learn to respect, as we learn to love one another in the local church. John 13, 34 says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus says we should love each other the same way he loved us. So let me get this straight here. Jesus says, I have perfect, sacrificial, pure, undefiled, eternal love for you, and if you are my disciple, then I expect you to pour that same type of love out on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pour that same love out on those that you are in relationship with, those that you live life within the local church. And Jesus concludes this. This is astounding. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love one for another. So this leads to our first mark of a healthy church. First mark of a healthy church is the radical love we have for each other. The first mark of a healthy church 
is the radical love we have for each other. And this love that we are talking about is not the ushy-gushy sort of love. I'm not talking about loving someone because I feel good about them. I mean, it's so easy to love members that are nice and so easy to get along with, right? It's so easy to love people like Bill and Andrea Keene or Fred and Dora Kraus or Amanda or Pastor Casey. Well, okay, let me back that up. At least Amanda, right? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love Pastor Casey as well. But there are others, There are many others who are Christians, including myself at times, that makes it hard to love. It makes it hard to love, right? So we have to learn to love one another. We see this love Christ is talking about isn't earned. It's not something based on how good people are to us or on how much We like them. It's a different sort of love. Again, it's a radical love that we have for all believers. As Christ says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Also love one another. But this love is so different in the fact that it also reflects our own hearts. It is a love that reveals our own faith in Christ. It's a love that shows how much we really love Christ ourselves. Listen to 1 John 4.20. Here we go. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John says our love or lack of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ displays our love for God. We can have lots of knowledge about God. We can have a great handle on theology and doctrine. We can be selfless as servants. We can, have, we can be the mighty prayer warriors. We can fast for a month straight. But if we don't love one another, it reveals we don't actually love Christ at all. I wonder if we have thought about our love for each other. It reveals how much we actually love Christ Jesus. But some of you might be thinking, Terry, it sounds like you're too inwardly focused. I mean, we are called to love everyone, not just people in the local church. And I would totally agree that we are supposed to love everyone. But Christ gives special attention to believers loving each other throughout the scriptures. Again, Jesus says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Jesus says our witness to the world is predicated. It's dependent on our love for one another in the local church. Does the love we have for one another at the family church draw people to Christ? So what we have seen 
thus far is that we're called to love each other like Christ loved us. But another important question is, what does this sort of love actually look like? What does it look like to live out this love in the local church? Well, a great passage, a very convicting passage is Philippians 2.3. Paul, the apostle, talking to the church at Philippi says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So Paul gives us clarity on what this radical love actually looks like. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't think about what you want, but put others' wants and needs above your own. I mean, that's so natural, right? That's easy. I want to go to Ted's Grill. And I'm already thinking about that juicy Delmonico steak. As I'm daydreaming about taking a bite... And my wife says, "Hun, how about we go to Chick-fil-A? And I like Chick-fil-A. There's nothing wrong with Chick-fil-A. But then she says, you know, we're trying to eat healthy, and we can get one of those grilled chicken salads. And at that moment, I'm thinking, a salad? What's the matter with a steak? I mean, I'll get a vegetable with my steak. I'll get a loaded baked potato. But the reality is, it isn't easy to look to other people's interests. My example was talking about my marriage relationship. I'm talking about my wife, who I adore, who is my bride. But in our passage in Philippians, Paul isn't talking about our beloved spouse. Although that applies, amen. But he's referring to everyone in the church. He is talking about the local church body of believers. And he says that we should live a lifestyle. It should be a way of life of placing our family church, their wants, their needs, their desires above our own. This leads to point number two. Radical love says, I am nothing and you are everything. Let me say that again. Radical love says that I am nothing and you are everything. Paul is saying the way we naturally think about ourselves, think that way towards others. The way we focus on our own life and our own family, think that way towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul goes on about this radical love and says, this is the same love Christ showed to us. Let's listen in to Philippians 2 five through eight, which says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being, form, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says that Christ emptied himself, which other translations say made himself nothing. He was God. He who was God became man. But he didn't come in earth to earth in royalty. 
living it up. But instead, Christ became a lowly servant. Christ came to serve. And if that wasn't enough, then he died, crucified on a cross. And the question is, who was all this for? Us. I wonder whose interests Christ was looking out for. Ours, right? I wonder who benefited from the cross. Us. I wonder who Christ suffered for. Us. Christ made himself nothing so that we could get everything. Let me say that again. Christ made himself nothing so that we could get everything. This is the love Christ had for us. This is the love Christ had for you. This is the love Christ had for me. And this is the love of Christ that we should be pouring out on one another in the local church. It's a selfless love. It's a free of self-love. Instead, it focuses on others. It's a love that makes me nothing and it makes you everything. It's a love we see in Christ. It's a love that now lives on in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I wonder if we at the Family Church live out the love of Christ. Does Marco Island know the family church because of how we love each other? But biblically, we also see that being involved or part of a local church isn't optional. It's not something that's optional. This leads to point number three. We are commanded to be involved in the local church. We are commanded to be involved in the local church. Often as parents, our children ask us why they need to do such and such, right? And often we get in the habit of explaining it to them. And that's not bad, right? That's okay to do. We can explain it to them. But sometimes we just need to say, because I said so. And I don't mean to say that mean-spirited. But it's good for our children to obey us plainly because God placed them under our authority. Children need to willingly submit to their parents because one day they will have to willingly submit to Christ. And similarly, that is true with us as well, who are believers. Sometimes we need to just obey because Scripture tells us to. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. You've probably never heard that one before. If the Bible says it, that settles it. It's often important to study things out, to wrestle with Scripture, to really dig in to understand, but other times it's refreshing. It's trust, it's faith that often leads us to submit to God's Word even when we don't like the answer. Hebrews 10.25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Here we see that some of the believers weren't making time together a priority. In essence, they stopped being a part of the body of Christ. They stopped being a part of the local church. 
And the Hebrew writer emphatically encourages them or commands them not to neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. So the question is, why does God command us to be a part of the local church? Why does the Bible want us to be involved in the local church? It's not so much because God is trying to reprimand us or imprison us, right? But the local church is just the very opposite. The local church is for our health. It's for our own benefit. It's for our own freedom and joy. And this leads to point number four. The local church is good for the soul. The local church is good for the soul. Let's look at some of the passages that show us why the local church is a blessing, why we need one another in the local church. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Encourage one another and build each other up. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12.15 and 16 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Be hospitable to one another. John or James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another. So the local church is where we encourage each other. It's where we love each other. It's where we speak truth to each other. It's where we show grace to each other. It's where we walk through trials and painful times with each other. It's where we lift one another up. It's where we live a life with one another. But ultimately, the local church is not so much about us. It's where we exalt and magnify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, together as the body, as the local church. It's God's people working together to share the love, the grace, the truth of Christ to a lost and dying world. So the real question I would ask is, why would we not be a part of the local church if we were a believer? Why would we not want to get plugged in and become active in the local church, the bride of Christ? It's how we learn how to thrive in our Christian walk. It is where we mature. It is where we learn to love deeper, to love higher, to radically love one another like Christ loved us. So you might be thinking, well, how do I get involved in the local church? How can I be a part of the local church? Well, the first step is to commit either to our church or another Bible-believing church. And I pray it doesn't have to be our church. It can be any good church. But the way you get involved here is become a member of the family church. And membership is so important because it's a covenant that we are making with you and that you are making with us. It lets us know who is committed to the family church. And let me say, this is for all people. This applies as well to snowbirds. It allows you to have two home churches. So while you're on Marco, you have a local church that is here to support you, to bless you, to encourage you, to love you. 
as we often as leaders come together and pray for our members. We will often call you. We'll want to take you out for lunch or for coffee so we can get to know you personally as we grow, thrive, and edify one another in the Lord. So if you're interested, this is my advertisement plug for the membership class. If you're interested, next week at 845 Sunday morning, we'll have our membership class. And if you'd like to attend, we would love for you to do that, but just fill out a Connect card and come ready to learn about the family church and take your first step closer to getting involved in the local church, the Bride of Christ. So in conclusion, we've talked about the local church. I don't know if anyone followed me so far. We've learned that the local church is important. It's such a priority that Christ gave his life for her. The local church is called her because it's the bride of Christ. The local church is not only important, but God's word commands that we as Christians need to be involved and active in the body of Christ, in, in the local church. But ultimately, the local church is not a place, right? It's the fellowship of believers. It's us here who live life with one another, who serve one another, who help one another, who encourage one another, who speak truth to one another. And we do all of this because we are called to radically love one another because Christ radically loved us. May we be people who are excited, who are joyful, who praise God for the bride of Christ, the local church. Let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your word that gives us clarity on the deep truths of God and give us clarity on what should be a priority in our lives. And Father, help us to make the local church a priority, a main priority to be submitted to your church, Father, recognizing through your church is where we learn to glorify you and to love one another. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.